Welcome to the Illuminate Faith Podcast. My name is Dave Exley. I'm Isaac Mundy. And I'm Douglas Peck. And we are here at Pub Milotion, London, Ontario, and uh, we're excited to be back after uh, sort of uh, turning uh, the page on a, uh, a new calendar year here, and so uh, trying to kick off... Uh, 2017 right so uh today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, just that that call to, to ministry what it means to be in ministry for us uh pondering that call and uh, and looking at some some things that uh, are unexpected as far as uh you know life and ministry and uh, hopefully providing some tips and so i would imagine that for for those of you who are are thinking about a call to ministry or those that uh that are entering a ministry that this might be a helpful conversation for you and those that are pondering your own vocational call um hopefully um our conversation kind of leads to some some deeper thoughts and uh so we look forward to uh uh, raising a, a pint and uh, and having a conversation about ministry. So I want to start and just um, ask you guys, you know, I guess probably a good place to start is to is to ask you, you know, why did you pick ministry as your vocation? Not going to lie, Dave, it was a little hard at first because there's definitely this cultural sense that uh, should you admit to your friends that you have been contemplating jumping into seminary, jumping into ministry, they might think you're weird. So uh, I often use some language uh, that I, I hid in the closet for a little bit, not telling my friends that I, I wanted to be a minister until I was good and ready. And, and then I could say, hello, world. Hello, friends. I want to be a minister. And, and it was that was a, a big step. Uh, but it certainly... Um, was just a huge relief when it all happened. I, I remember ha- trying other jobs. So many people in ministry today uh, talk about having other jobs, denying the call, saying that, hey, I could be spiritual in anything I do. Uh, but then the reality is just not finding your work meaningful when you don't take that plunge, just realizing that there's problems with every other vocation that you try. And and, and finally, just looking at myself and saying, I'm avoiding the call to ministry for for you know this this human resources job that is just not very fulfilling in my life uh, uh, full respect to all people in, in human resources uh, however taking that first plunge I just remember uh, going to a, a meet and greet wine and cheese meeting all the other people that were to be future colleagues future classmates feeling so at ease feeling so comfortable feeling this safe place where it was okay to say I enjoy exploring faith and professing that I love God. And and, um, and I just remember just this huge relief and thinking, wow, this is this is such a joyous moment. This is such a, a an excitement moving forward. How about you, Isaac? Yeah, you know, for me, it all goes back to Ninja Turtles in a way. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember when I was in grade three, I was watching Ninja Turtles one day. And or while well, I was about to watch Ninja Turtles, and I almost had turned on the TV, and then I heard this voice say, "Isaac, you're to be a minister." Um, and then was it Michelangelo? <laughs> it may have been Leonardo, it may have been Michelangelo. <laughs> I'm not completely sure. But then I went halfway up the stairs and told my mom that God had told me to be a minister, and she was like, "Okay." Um, and then I went back downstairs and watched Ninja Turtles. It was your dad who was behind the TV, <laughs> wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, he was, he was hiding there. And, uh, my dad and my grandpa, for sure. Um, but yeah, then it took me a while to kind of say yes, because at that point I wanted to either be a Ninja Turtle or a soccer player. Um, 
And then it wasn't until I spent some time just kind of away from my everyday life uh, when I was uh, living in Europe for a bit and working as a gardener at this convent and really being able to say yes to that call kind of in my early 20s. And I think that um, there was something about realizing that, okay, this seemed to be like God's desire for my life, but that it was actually also my desire and that somehow those desires are actually kind of the same thing at the deepest level of, of who we are and uh, so that was how I got into it that's great yeah for me it, it was uh, you know I started uh, early on in my in my 20s working in uh, in youth ministry uh, but what led to that uh, you know grew up in the United Church of Canada and uh, as the church was kind of on the decline in uh, I would say late 80s, early 90s, uh, I found myself really frustrated that there was no desire. You know, it seemed like our church just wasn't that interested in doing anything. We weren't doing enough, in my mind, for the youth of our church. And I kept on, you know, I would come home and sort of express that frustration of, you know, there's not enough happening at our church for for youth and and for young adults. And, uh, you know, my parents listening to me and very patiently sort of like letting me rant a little bit about that and then, you know, paused and and said, uh, you know, you could actually do something about that you know like this is your church too and it was in that moment where I really felt like okay yeah if if I really am passionate uh, about this and and feel like I I want you know if I feel like church is a place that is uh, meaningful and makes a difference in the lives of uh, of not only young people but uh, but older folks as well then yeah I should have some skin in the game and and uh, step up to the plate and help and started volunteering at that point and really felt like yeah this is something that I really enjoy and uh, so many many years of uh, of doing youth ministry and feeling like I was heading away from from church ministry but uh, kind of got pulled back in, in in a deeper way and uh, you know now ordained and and really uh, really loving it there's something about uh, that that sense of call to the life of faith that I'm that I'm hearing you talk about Dave and and and, and certainly uh, all colleagues I know have had these moments and and I'm certainly uh, growing up um, you know lo- uh, growing up loving being uh, living a life of faith growing up loving engaging the exploration of faith I would often find myself engaged in conversations with people where you'd have that illuminating moment, that illuminating faith moment, where you just find yourself one-on-one with somebody loving talking about the exploration of faith and what that does within your own soul and what you see it happen within someone else's soul and, and the excitement that, that uh, the, the fire, the energy that it brings out in both of you. And um, I, I've just come to realize that that's essentially my job to have those conversations with people, to listen to other people begin their conversations, bring in the faith element and see them get excited. And and I've come to realize, uh, in, a, in a sense, every week when I preach, it's that conversation. Mind you, it's with more people than just one. Um, That's a good sign. That- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but just how exciting is it that it's... It's our job. It's my job to just have those exciting conversations all the time. That's great. Wondering about, uh, you know, entering ministry, I think there's always, you know, there are unexpected curveballs that get thrown your way. And, and, you know, when we kind of ponder um, all those things that we expected coming into ministry and those things that have actually happened in the midst of uh, our, our time in, in ministry, what, what have been the most unexpected things for you? Because I think, you know, it's important for us to kind of, 
ponder um, you know that training that that we've received sometimes you're, you're not listening well enough as, as you're in the midst of that training and uh, uh, you run into things that are unexpected and um, oftentimes that training really helps as well but what have been the most unexpected things for you guys as uh, as you ponder uh, that entrance into ministry and stepping back and considering uh, your years of service I, I think for me like a lot of it has been how do we end up uh, like working with other people uh, because you know so much of what you do uh, like say in seminary is <coughs> excuse me learning about um, different things in terms of biblical studies in terms of theology in terms of um, all, all kinds of different things that um, help us move forward in terms of ministry um, but one of the things that you just kind of have to live into is how, how am I going to work with people that I have a difference of opinion about how do I um, come into a situation in ministry where there's people are coming uh, at their life of faith in a whole bunch of different ways and understanding that it's not just me imparting knowledge that I've gained to other people but actually being in relationship with them and I know like obviously the whole Jesus love your neighbor thing seems like something that we'd probably be thinking about but sometimes when you're actually putting it into practice it's uh you've you've really gotta get into it and uh I think that for me that was that was something that I really have been learning and continue to learn on the job yeah addressing the question you know what what you weren't expecting in, in seminary that that sort of ecstasy feeling that I mentioned earlier of of you know leaving this job that I wasn't finding fulfilling going into seminary meeting all these colleagues that that like me wanted to explore faith d- further and and explore ministry uh, in a bigger way explore this vocation it, you know the excitement of building so many wonderful relationships you know it's it's really a feeling of belonging and not feeling alone and then uh, you know it's it's very likely you, you go out into your first job and you are alone you are the only uh, paid employee there you are the only perhaps minister there and and there's a lot of confidentiality with the job there's a lot of uh, just sort of slugging it out and learning as you go on your own and and that produces a uh, a bigger sense of loneliness than I anticipated. And, you know, you, you hear colleagues talk about self-care. You hear uh, uh, you hear congregations care for you and, and worry about your your sense of uh, connection with others. And, and, and really, you, you don't want to put that burden on them. So, you know, the, the fact that some colleagues eventually just find, you know, collegial teamships with uh, guys like Isaac and Dave here it's just it means the world to uh, to just take that time to hang out with a couple colleagues every now and then and, and hash it out because uh, there is there is that that sense of loneliness in the beginning was something that was unexpected and, and people can tell you about it but then to experience it it's it's a little bit different I think for me it's uh, a lot of when I think about in particular the seminary training uh, that we receive uh, those of us who've you know, gone through that, um, there's so much. You know, you think about the just the depth of you know that that those studies that we did, and there's so much that just doesn't apply and that we don't use uh, that often. Though you know, in those moments, I mean, we we kind of in subtle ways use it. You know, I think about you know one of my most challenging courses that I took was a, a course on Karl Barth and uh, and working through a, a section of uh, you know volume 4 of or a section of volume 4 of church dogmatics and and I think about the fact that 
yeah, some people would say, well, you never even end up using that at all, which in some ways they're right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, there's so much in our training that we don't really use on a day-to-day basis, though it's important, I think, in the grand scheme of things to help us kind of break open the word for people to kind of really ponder what it means to be a person of faith, you know. Um, there are so many non-practical things that we do in our theological training that are really important uh, but they barely, you know, sort of enter our world. Uh, when we think about in the grand scheme of a whole year, how many times does that that time, you know, spend study, studying uh, Karl Barth and some of the other great theologians, does that really impact the work that you do? Um, which is tough because there's a real, there's a desire, I think, on some people to say, well, let's just jettison all of that, that, that study and all that work because it's not practical. Um, but at the same time, I think we would be missing a great deal if we didn't uh, include that. So I guess it, it's been surprising for me to sort of like what's been unexpected is, the, is that balance and the presence of that, but it being kind of behind all things as opposed to being front and central um, and the more practical things being the things that are most important. In this day and age, I often think to myself, you know, now that I've found this career that I, that I love so much, that I find myself so passionate to have this congregation that, you know, we're, we don't just see each other once in a while. We see each other regularly. We're always engaging in ministry together. We're always, uh, you know, exploring new ideas and ways of doing things and reaching out to people. Um, this is something that is so enjoyable in my life that I often think... Um, I want to do this for as long as I can. I want to, I want to, uh, you know, not be a sprinter in this, but be a marathon runner. I want to be doing this beyond my retirement years because it's it's so much fun to do. So, uh, you know, that that theological training that sometimes doesn't uh, seem like it it applies so so much on a day to day level. Uh, I, I, my excitement is the grounding uh, that it gives for that long haul factor. Uh, and, and I often, you know, having done my undergrad in religious studies, my master's of divinity, um, I, it, so often it's the case. It's not just ministry personnel that are being trained there, but it's often just excited lay people. You know, you, you want to say to people, hey, you like faith development? You like faith? You, you want to explore your own uh, call as a lay person? Take some theology courses at the seminaries. Go to go to the universities. Uh, sit in and audit classes because you always find uh, that's where um, that's where some good quality church nerds are. Uh, just exploring <laughs> it to that next level. Do you know what I think the importance is when when if I sort of ponder maybe the unexpected thing that I've learned is that you know you go into seminary. I think that you know in your theological studies, thinking uh, this this is the work that's helping me prepare for that day to day work. And what you realize, perhaps, and maybe you uh, share this this feeling that it's the studies that you do are more about your own development, your own personal development, and and that seminary work is not necessarily there to equip you with the tools, the day-to-day tools uh, to be a minister, but what it's doing is it's helping to form a clear sense of what your faith is. And the clearer you are, the clearer we are as individuals, and, and the more we understand ourselves and and have some clarity about who we are, um, not only as uh, as people of faith, but, you know, just as kind of everyday human beings, um, 
the more that will equip us and give us confidence in, in the life of ministry. And, and that's probably the surprising thing for me, is that I think in some cases we, we place too much uh, on, uh, you know, expectation on theological training for it to be something that gives you every tool that you need. Uh, but what it does do a good job of doing is, is sort of like just helping to kind of clear away all that stuff and rebuild back up. Um, that sense of who you are as a child of God, what your belief is as it pertains to the, the, the layers, the complexity of, of our own Christian faith tradition. And that's really a helpful thing, all right? Going into to, to ministry with a clear sense of what I believe. Not that your faith, your faith is completely developed, but having a strong sense of I, I know what I believe. And I've kind of, I've, I've been helped to kind of, you know, I've had... Uh, staff members and, and, and professors guide me through those deep questions that you don't want to be pondering in the midst of, uh, of ministry. Uh, you want to be able to, uh, to ponder those things in isolation of that and in preparation for ministry. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think too, even like when you think about like the questions too, like when people come to us with, with different questions in terms of ministry, I think maybe having had the chance to look at a lot of different theologians and a lot of different approaches to Christian thought, it also helps us not to come back with like a too quick of an easy answer too. And like there's so much nuance in who we are as a people of faith that a lot of the time having all of that background and having being able to look at a question from like 20 different angles really helps to be able to say, to be with folks and when someone comes to you and says this is really hard and I don't know how to find God in this to be able to say yeah it is really hard and like let's let's start to look at it but not necessarily saying like okay well yeah a plus b equals c in terms of a theological answer that that having that breadth of understanding helps us to be able to to enter into the mystery a bit with folks too great response Isaac I I, I also that makes me think about um developing your own theological identity as a as a person of faith uh and as a minister you know what i wasn't prepared for coming out of seminary was the sense that i hadn't quite found my voice yet a develop to me developing your own sense of theological identity also uh becomes in line with developing your own voice to preach that sense of identity and you know what whatever you do whether it's you know articulating yourself as um uh, you know, maybe you had a career as a teacher beforehand and, and you found your voice as a teacher. Uh, that's going to relate to finding your voice as a preacher. Um, uh, and, and you can just insert any kind of um, uh, sense there. Your, your voice as a, as a manager in a Crown Corporation, your voice as a, as a whatever you're doing. Um, and, and just, but to find that voice just took me a little while to find and and, and it's it's a part of who I've always been you know the 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 goofy guy in high school it was the, there was a part of that voice in there and I, I just um that yeah finding your voice was just something that um I wasn't quite ready I didn't feel seminary trained me for but but um just years of experience had to go through wondering about uh, just you know if you could name you know one class or something that happened uh, in, during your theological studies that was the most beneficial thing that you learned uh, in class, perhaps, whether it was one class that you took or something that you did. Um, 
let's sort of lift up, you know, as, as we ponder sort of the, those those things that are missing, um, and um, as we ponder what what we weren't uh, prepared for, uh, let's ponder how did uh, how did seminary help to train us? So, what any things come to mind as far as the training and your training and what was invaluable for you? You know, I think one of the things that really helped me, <coughs> excuse me, was. Um, uh, part of uh, the seminary uh, um, experience for me was um, doing clinical pastoral education. Um, and so I did my, uh, my first unit at the Royal Victoria Hospital in Montreal. And I remember uh, it was sort of a combination of kind of in-class stuff, but then also just going out and uh, talking to different uh, folks in the hospital. And I think maybe one of the biggest experiences for me was just being able to enter into a hospital room and realizing how scared I felt uh, to actually do that. And I remember the first person that I was going to visit, I actually stood outside of the room for like five minutes trying to steal myself. Um, And then eventually the person actually came out of the room and opened the door and said, oh, are you here to see me? And I said, uh, yeah, I am. And he said, oh, okay, come on in. And we talked for a little bit. And uh, I don't know, it just kind of helped me realize this is going to be okay. And so I I think that um, that experience in seminary, a lot of it was sort of kind of being reaffirmed in this is going to be okay, even though there are parts of this that seems really freaky. It's going to be okay. How about you, Doug? I have such a similar experience to to Isaac's that, you know, engaging in those um, field education where you get paired up at the church and you get to be a student minister and you're sent to a hospital room or, or doing internships at uh, at hospitals. And I, I'll never forget the spiritual care director at, at Queensway Carlton Hospital, Heather Cruel. I, I got to the to the office one day and she said, somebody just died. The family wants a prayer in, in room... Uh, uh, in a room on the second floor and, and just walking towards that room and just exactly like Isaac's story, being so afraid, being being so filled with adrenaline and thinking, what am I supposed to do? What am I going to say? And just remembering every single step of my walk there and, and feeling my heart pound outside of it of itself. But, but going and seeing the family and praying and having this sense of lifting, it, it's, uh, it, it was one of the biggest adrenaline rushes I, I think I'll ever have experienced. Hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that that happens <laughs> when you're thrown into the water or thrown into the fire, or whatever it might be. It's funny. Uh, last week, I had a chance to uh, to uh, travel back to uh, Emmanuel College, where I finished my uh, uh, theological training, and um, uh, happened to say to uh, to Bill Curvin, who's a professor of uh, uh, worship uh, liturgical life there, um, just commented to him, you know, because in my first sort of stretch of uh, you know first few months at uh, the church where I am now had a lot of funerals and uh, he's I I commented to him that something that he said in class has really stayed with me it's like Bill's beside me every time I do a funeral because I remember him saying and it was such a simple thing but had he not said it uh, I don't think that I'd be as well prepared for those that important um, you know work of of doing funerals and and uh, caring for uh, for members of the congregation who are uh, who have lost a loved one and and Bill said in the class he said you know you've got to remember uh, 
you know, with your whole body that when you're doing funerals that you're, there's no moment where you're off. He talked about being at a funeral one time where the minister had kind of finished up with the service and it came time to move the casket into um, the hearse and the minister just kind of went outside and had a smoke and everybody could, you know, see that <laughs> the person had just decided, oh, I'm done now. And what he was trying to uh, sort of instill within us was that recognition that, it's your job. You lead the body out. You think about how you stand next to, you know, when, when the casket is being brought into the hearse uh, or when it's being walked out to, uh, to the graveside. You know, think about what you're doing with your body. And that simple thing, you know, has just stayed with me, you know, every, you know, and so every time. Don't I do, check your cell phone. No, no, exactly. Bad, bad to do that. Um, so it's small things like that. And uh, uh, one more thing I will say, and it's funny how these small things uh, make a difference, but it's often those things that you remember. Um, in the midst of all the studies that you've done, um, uh, a professor here on uh, college, uh, I remember talking about, uh, you know, what is our role uh, as it relates to uh, meetings in the church and talked about uh, a minister friend of his who um, uh, in council meetings and in, in board meetings would make it uh, his job to say, you know what, my job here is to ponder what are the pastoral care needs within this room during the meeting and that's the way I'm going to respond as my role and so that you know I carry that with me every time I go into a meeting of and which really changes the way you approach um, you know those meetings of recognizing that this is my role within that and I think it's it's stuff like that 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 really helps a person to respond very quickly because the reality is is ministry comes at us so fast and we don't have time to sort of you know, well, give me give me a couple days to kind of think about how I might respond to this. I mean, it's just like you've got to respond in the moment. And the more we have those people, those voices in our ears, kind of encouraging us and telling us, yeah, this is this is the way you handle it. It it helps with our instincts, and so that's where I think I've been well equipped as it relates to ministry. Let's flip that and say, uh, what do you wish you learned uh, that you didn't learn uh, in your time in uh, in seminary? You know, I one of the things that I was thinking about is I think maybe it would be helpful to sort of learn about some of the other Christian practices that aren't within our United Church practices. Because obviously we're going to seminary, right, to learn how to be United Church ministers. But it would be really great because a lot of the time now, people don't really care as much about denominations. And so you end up giving pastoral care to people who are coming from a lot of different backgrounds. And I remember there was one situation where somebody asked me to do the sacrament of the sick for somebody who was dying and I was trying to figure out how to do this anointing with oil and the long and the short of it was everybody kind of ended up getting all covered in oil and it was just sort of a disaster um yeah at a kind of a sensitive time but it, I was thinking afterwards you know it'd be kind of good just for us to all be able to know what are some of the different things that are expected of a bunch of different traditions in terms of um, the pastoral side of things, in terms of the uh, ritualistic side of things, just because we're in this world now where we're expected, people see us and see a minister, and they will bring everything that they are from whatever denomination they're coming from, so maybe having more of a breadth of understanding of the wider traditions so that I don't uh, end up in some weird oily uh, mess again <laughs> how about you Isaac or uh, Doug 
I, I wish someone in, in my pastoral care studies, one of my favorite professors, Tracy Trothens, in pastoral care, just phenomenal teacher. But, but I almost wish she would have said to us at the very end of all our training, if she had just said, you know, guys, everything I've taught you, uh, if you just bring your dog to the nursing home, your dog will be 10 times more effective than anything I've taught you can ever be. Because uh, I bring my dog to that nursing home and we walk by 10 people on our way to see uh, you know, the, the person from my congregation and their hearts just light up. And, and my dog can lick them in a face that, in a way that if I do it, uh, I'd really be called to account for some inappropriate... Yeah, I've uh, tried that. I yeah. wouldn't recommend that. Harper is definitely the right yeah. uh, person to do that. Shout She's out to Harper. Harper's Doug's dog, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> She's a good girl. Yeah, yeah it, for me, th- there's so many things that, uh, you know... I, I, I certainly don't want to take away from uh, uh, from what our institutions are, are doing, but I, I would say that just overall, I think the struggle that I have is I think that when it comes to our theological institutions, I think there's so much, and it depends on where you go too, but I think there's so much emphasis on the the academic side of things and and I understand our institutions are wired to be thinking about okay how can we you know survive and and generate uh, you know new revenue and that type of thing and so there's this desire to kind of you know really raise up uh, scholars as opposed to raising up uh, ministers and so uh, you know one of my struggles is that that we don't do enough of the the practical stuff that we don't I, I wish that was there was more time you know in in some ways I wish that, uh, and I don't know if there's any theological institution that does this, but when we go to on an internship, yes, you've got supervision there and this and that, and depending on what environment you're in, it could be, you know, really helpful where you've got somebody there holding your hand the whole time. But to be able to really um, journey alongside other individuals, you know, to, I mean, I wish there was, you know, more time that was taken to to say, okay, we're going to have, we're going to figure out a way to, you know, to have you do funerals and, and, and have, um, you know, others be present uh, so that you could kind of ponder that and, and uh, really um, have a chance to, to engage in conversation with others about that practical work that you're doing. And, uh, you know, let's, let's have you watch. Like, I, I wish in some cases that uh, my professor spent more time saying, here, I want to give you you know, for the next five months, make sure you go to uh, a church or, or we're going to set up something where you can go to a really high-functioning church council meeting. Uh, we're going to send you to uh, uh, to a funeral home where they do really handle things really well and there's a minister that just does the best uh, funerals ever. Uh, we're going to send it, like, it's, it's kind of, in some ways, you feel like you're kind of thrown into the water uh, without being able to, wa- like, if you could swim with, uh, Michael Phelps, maybe, uh, you know, it's not that you're going to become Michael Phelps, but, you know, you can learn something about uh, about yourself and about uh, that activity. I don't know whether that makes sense, but I find that uh, uh, more often than not, our institutions are so wired to raise up scholars, and there's that, that desire to want to spend time in that world that uh, that we tend to want to unplug from that practical world. And so if we could spend more time training in the practical 
realities of, uh, of, of life and ministry, I think it'd be a whole lot uh, better. And I'm not sure exactly how you do that, but, um, you know, your examples, I think, are, are good moments where that did happen. Would you almost say, Dave, that, that you would want that sort of simple education for someone to say, don't take yourself too seriously? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and some of those things, that it's probably, as I said before, you know, those casual conversations that just seem to kind of naturally pop up in a preaching class, in a, uh, a pastoral care class, those things that were just kind of not in the text, but, you know, just mentioned uh, were the most refreshing things. When I was at a preaching conference uh, in the fall, you know, to hear somebody ask a question uh, to Tom Long and say, you know, like, uh, so when do you... Are you? When are you usually finishing your manuscript? And for him to say, "Oh, I finish on Saturday. I'm a Saturday writer," and, and to see watches, everybody was like, kind of like, "Phew, okay, I'm not alone here." But why is it that that's like? I mean, all these people that had already graduated, you know, and they never were given permission to say, and like, it seems like they were held to this high standard. And let's just be realistic about, you know what it is for that everyday day-to-day life and and so so many people struggle to survive because their expectation is every week i've got to you know just bring it i've got to have my sermon ready on wednesday midday and uh you know it's memorized and all of those types of things so yeah just just a thought on that i think something we're really trying to educate you the listeners out there about right now and right here is we are just pretty regular people that worry about some pretty neurotic things on the day-to-day. Like, before I get out there, uh, you know, preaching in front of everybody, leading worship, I- I'm often wondering, do I have chocolate chips on my alb right now because I was a little messy with that muffin before I stepped out here? That is a great segue because I wanted to talk about tips for people entering ministry, and that's one thing that you never think about. You'll never... Like, I, I would hazard a guess that nobody during their theological training... Uh, received any education on how to clean an alb <laughs> or any sort of vestments, you know. And so the first time I all of a sudden found myself with sort of like somebody's foundation on the shoulder of my alb, it was like, what do I do? <laughs> like, and so, you know, just that that whole, here's a, here's a tip, and we can go into some tips and see what we can come up with, but have some like baby wipes or, or something like a, like a Tide to go thing in your office because you're naturally going to be, you know, I mean, we can talk about boundaries and we'll let the church kind of handle that that work. But, uh, you know, naturally, you're going to be in an environment where people are like, love that sermon. They give you a big hug and and makeup washes or like ends up on your alb. And, uh, and you got to do something about that. So nobody told me that. I wish I would have known that. Any other tips? Oh, yeah. Like in terms of pastoral care, you got to have mega, mega Kleenex in your office because um, maybe if you have a cry you're not the kind of person that wants to be able to wipe their nose and their eyes and everything, but somebody is having a really emotional time. Lots of people want some Kleenex to be able to, uh, uh, to wipe up afterwards. That's something that, yeah, we, we, I was sort of resetting up my office when, you know, last year in the spring and, uh, was thinking, yeah, okay, how, what's the best setup for this? Because naturally, you know, it's a space where people are going to come in, you know, of course, having the right things there is, that's helpful, but yeah, what, I wish there was something that, you know, we had a class on, here's the best way to set up your office. Whether it's have a couch, whether it's have a couple chairs, this is how, excuse me, you should sit. And these are things that 
that are important that we, we just don't learn, right? I really try to remember to keep gum handy. Uh, I, you're you're going to get close to people. And, and if they were to find out what my wife already knows, that uh, that I've got some stinky breath sometime. And, and um, you know, it's part of my job that I eat a lot of pie. It's part of my job that I just, I eat a lot of things that just, I drink a lot of coffee. Um, and, and to have that gum present is just so, so, so uh, super handy sometimes. Yeah, I definitely have the uh, the the bowl of mints, and uh, they're handy to have there, and uh, certainly not just for me, but for other people too. I think too. Let's face it, as you say, we're eating lots of pie, lots of different church meals. Getting pants with an elastic waistband is pretty important. <laughs> yes, yes. When you're you know you've overloaded on jellied salad, uh, you definitely need that expandable waistband. That now you know it's it's our job to care for and really make people feel like they're being listened to, but let's not kid ourselves. Sometimes we're we're having a pastoral care moment with someone who's perhaps a little distraught and doesn't realize how much time they're taking to uh, to have their story be shared. And and sometimes it's a reality that we have to move on to the next thing in our day. We have to. Uh, go to a next meeting or, or, or whatever. And we don't want to make people feel like we're just rushing them along. I have a bartender friend who really related to this, that, you know, he's he's got to connect with people, but then he's got to go to the next person he's got to serve. And he said to me, Doug, in the bar, I always tell a joke and then get out of there. Because wow. a joke really breaks up the, the, the flow of conversation and, and gives a window He's, he's like George Costanza in that one episode where George is sort of like, he goes on too long and realizes he's got to, you know, do the showmanship thing and just get out when it, on a high note, right? You're, you're relating to it exactly, Dave. There's a, there's a perfect example. Why don't we have, like, what are those other vocations that there's sort of crossover, right, that could teach us a lot Absolutely. in our world? Why don't we have classes where we take people to a bar for somebody who's amazing at that work? You know, one of those you know, bars where you got the regulars there and you have to kind of work the crowd sort of thing. And how do you do that? Right. Cause that's important. I mean, you don't want to, I mean, the best ministers I've seen are ones that make you feel like you're not burdening them with your time and, and, and the conversation that you're in. And we've all been there before. I think the biggest thing that turned me off uh, from one minister that, that uh, I, I grew up knowing was that you always felt like you were sort of in that sort of turnstile uh, at the, the back of the church when you were greeting the minister afterwards. You felt like they were, they were just moving you on to the next person and you felt not like present. a commodity. Exactly. Yeah. Not, so how do you balance that out, right? Needing to be mindful of your time and maybe talking to a so it's a good Wouldn't thing Wouldn't you that, say that of yes, the best bartenders day? That's right and that's why we're here at Pub Milos. <laughs> uh, we're all about to get our smart serve certification in the next uh, right. couple weeks. So, Let's uh, do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, one thing for me I think that I've kind of stumbled upon is just from a pastoral care perspective uh, I know there are some people that just have an incredible mind to remember things and, and that can be such a gift to people but most of us don't have that and I've found that when I'm doing pastoral care visits, in particular when you're visiting with a family and preparing for a funeral, to be able to 
remember those things. I always just, you know, especially if I'm, you know, it's not at the church and I'm driving somewhere, I will, uh, I'll, I'll pull out a handhold recorder and just hit record and begin to, you know, sort of just like do a brain dump of, you know, here are the things. And especially when you visited someone and you're going to go back to see them to be able to then return to that. So uh, I Evernote is a, if you have an iPhone and I'm sure Evernote has apps for, for other uh, smartphones and things like that. We've talked about the benefit of smartphones before even if you just have a handheld recorder in in your car or something like that, to be able to just, you know, do that so that when you're preparing the sermon, uh, uh, you know, during the memorial service or when you're going back to visit that person that's uh, been in the hospital or is in the nursing home, to be able to remember a few things. The number of times that people have said, wow, you remembered that. And, you know, I'm not about to say to them, yes, I record. (laughs) But, But it's such a helpful tool, right? Because... You know, I want, I don't want to forget, right? I want to be able to to deepen that relationship. And we're called to be in relationship with a lot of people. And if you're in a large church, it's almost, it's impossible to, unless you've got that that memory that like 0.1% of the population has uh, to, to remember things, um, you've got to have some help. And so whether it's a, a notebook to jot a couple things down, whether it's, a, you know, Evernote uh, app, that I think is extremely helpful. And that's something I didn't learn in seminary. One last thing I, I might even add to that uh, is, I, in, in a former life uh, as a as a coach, um, I remember taking a, a, a coaching certification program where where uh, and and the, the kind of sport I was into was competitive swimming, and and I remember the the instructor saying. I find this so helpful in ministry. I, f- I found the instructor saying, hey, you know, you guys might have 40 people in the pool and your, your workouts might be an hour, an hour and a half long. And he just said to us, they're there because they want to receive instruction from you. All of you. Uh, all of them want to receive instruction from you. So he said, you know, twice every half hour, uh, sorry, once every half hour, just give one point to every swimmer. So yeah, hey, you know, your push-off look good. Hey, uh, your breaststroke looks really good right now. Hey, you could improve on this. And sometimes it could be a quick point of connection, but it makes them realize, oh, he's paying attention to me. And, and, uh, and just a, a great helpful tip to just, you know, cover connection with a large group of people. That's great. Well, as we wind down here and, uh, and finish off this episode, I think that, you know, one of the things that I'll say is that, you know, really, you know, what I've discovered, you know, in, in the life of ministry is just how rewarding this is uh, to do this work. And, uh, and, you know, like there was an article that was released, a study that, uh, that was done not too long ago that talked about, you know, that, that nothing contributes more to sustained happiness than participating in a faith community. And I really, I think that if we sort of step back, if, if I step back from the work that I'm doing, I recognize just how much of an impact uh, our work has. And so if you're considering a call to ministry or if you're pondering, you know, does my life have any meaning doing ministry in the church, recognize just, you know, those small things. Take a moment and, and think about those small moments, those small victories, and uh, and you'll realize just how important it is, the work that you do. So, 
We want to thank you for listening to uh, to this week's episode of Illuminate Faith. Uh, look for more episodes in the coming weeks here and uh, as we settle into our, our routine. And uh, uh, good luck to Doug because you've got uh, a third child on the way. Ex- uh, your wife is expecting uh, any day now, next month, I guess, right? Three kids, zone defense. We're moving into zone defense. That's right. Fun times. <laughs> so the next episode, you might be a little bit more exhausted. We'll have to see. But uh, best of luck to you. And uh, um, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And we'll look forward to uh, catching you again. And we hope that you have an illuminated day. <laughs>